Hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, we are watching Dune from 1984 because the new Dune film is coming out around now. It may already be out, it may be out in a few weeks. Uh, It seems a little confused as to when it's actually coming out around the world, but we're going to review it now. So please listen when appropriate. Uh, joining me, as always, we have someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen June 1984, it's Kate Willoughby. Hello, everybody. How are you doing, Kate? Oh, I'm fantastic. I'm, I can't wait to watch this film about sand, I'm assuming, because <laughs> it's called June. So what do you know about June? Uh, absolutely nothing. I know mm. nothing about June. I told my auntie last night that I was watching it, and then um, I and then I said, "Oh, I've heard some people said the 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 old one is you know is is boring or bad." And then my auntie said, "Who told you that? If you haven't seen it?" And then I said, "I don't know, people." And she went, "Well, they're right." And um, <laughs> so I don't know why she was. It sounded like she was about to defend it. But, yeah. Um. So I know nothing. I I know nothing about this. Um. Yeah. What are you expecting then? I don't know. I look. It's it's from the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I know some people have said, and I think you'll probably say, like you know, Star Wars was because you know someone watched they read Dune, and you know, so I think it's like a, it's a. I think so. I think I'm expecting a lot of science fiction, but because this is considered the bad one, I don't know. Mm. Like just bad. Uh, it's, <laughs> Yeah, is Sean Connery and Leather in this? Is, no, is that, that's is that a different Sting. bad si- that's, that's uh Zardoz, is it? Zardoz? Yeah, I think I think that's Sting in a Speedo is in this. Okay, yeah. see, okay, so I'm expecting bad sci-fi. That's what okay. I'm expecting for this. Excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, luckily we have someone who has seen the film. It is Andrew David. Oh, I feel so lucky today, Stephen. Do you? Uh we'll see. Okay. We'll see. Uh, so, so uh, first of all, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Two fantastic guests. This is lovely. Um, June 1984. Um, wh- when did you last watch this film? I last watched this film for the first time about two weeks ago. Oh. Pretty much the day after I finished reading the novel for the first time. Oh, so you're a recent June uh, convert, I yes. guess. Yes. So at the time, I had a lot of people asking what I thought about it. My response then was, wasn't horrible. Mm-hmm. It wasn't good. Mm. Uh, This is a very interesting film. Mm. It is an interesting film in the context of being sci-fi. It's an interesting film in the context of being an adaptation of this novel, which I'm sure we'll uh, get into the the disparities uh, going forward after we come back from watching it. Mm. Uh, Interesting is the best way I can put it going in without talking about it. There's nothing I can say about it to prime you for this film. Okay. Yeah, I just noticed that you've got three books on the table. So are there three books of Dune? No, I believe there are six novels Uh in the original run, and there are also prequel novels written by Frank Herbert's son and Kevin J. Anderson. So I've only read the first one, my house, and then I handed it off to my housemate, and he read it in a weekend. Loved it as well. So is is this Dune movie and the new Dune Dune movie, is it based off the first book? Yes. Okay. Um... I believe so. It's hard to say without having seen the okay, new Dune so film. I'm not sure about. The, I believe the new Dune film, it, it, similar to Lord of the Rings, it, the the book itself is split into um, books within it and parts. So Lord of the Rings is actually six books released as a trilogy. 
uh, and the original Dune book is is has three distinct segments to it. This movie attempts to cover all three of those segments in one film. Mm-hmm. Attempts. Mm-hmm. I believe the new film covers the first two segments. Okay, I believe. So taking a bit, taking a bit of a, a slower approach with it. Which, this time which and uh, the pace of this film, the 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 changing point will become very apparent to you as you watch it. Okay. Well, the, yeah. I'm very excited because okay. I, I also haven't seen June and uh, despite now having a doctorate in science fiction, um, I've never interacted with June that much. I've not read the books. Um, I've, I've not seen the film or other connected media. How did you even get your doctorate? <laughs> I focused on other areas. <laughs> um, but but my I, I know that people love this franchise. My, my wife and my wife's family love June. Um, and like they, no, they just never yeah they love the books and they they play the board game uh, monthly There's a board game yes yeah. i've watched plays of it it's incredibly interesting there are mm. plays of this yes mm. on the deepest parts of the internet you have to search for them but there are people who have do you done... mean plays of the board game or plays as in no theatrical? no no so yeah yes live stream <laughs> like streams of people playing the board game oh my god yeah people love it so shall we uh, jump into it and see if we love it as well yeah let's nerd it up with june get our june buggy and for those of you listening at home pop in those dvds load up those streaming services and prepare to let that spice flow as we watch june from 1984 Oh, sorry, I hadn't started speaking yet. Uh, welcome back, everyone, to the Cinema Catch-Up Club and our review of June from your, 1984. Your internal monologue became external there briefly. Well, I've learned that whenever there's a scene change, we have to start with what somebody's thoughts are <laughs> being whispered quite aggressively. Is that not how you normally enter a new room? Uh, apparently not. Uh-huh. But uh, according to this film, yes. And I'm joined once again by our special guests, Andrew David. Hello. And Kate Willoughby. I'm thinking. Hi, Stephen. I just thought I, you should hear my thoughts before I say anything. Before you share your thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kate, that was your first time watching June. Yeah. What did you think? Well, a pile of shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I, the whole, yeah, it, it was one of those things where I think throughout the whole time we're going, man, this, I can feel that there's a really interesting story here. Um, which, you know, I go, oh, you know, I, that, that was what I was really interested in. So it, maybe I might read the book, like, or, or I might actually watch this new movie because, it, yeah, throughout the film, we kept going, oh, that's a really interesting idea. Why the hell? I'm just, like, even how they started the film, mm. like, everything is in, everything is in exposition. Mm. It doesn't, even when, when other people are interacting with each other, they're talking in exposition and then give more exposition, but just basic, like, film 101 mm. is like how they should have started the film like straight out should have just been like which i love like the villains the red-headed villains you know we're gonna we're, we're gonna kill someone we've got this plan and then blah 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 and then straight to the prince in his duke sorry in his training session and I like mm. when he was doing the the sorty things and then have some of the dialogue about because it was just I've never had so much exposition given yet still be so confused mm. because you don't understand what they're saying. 
yet they're mm. talking so much, but also talking in the inner thoughts of, and it's not just inner thoughts of like, I thought, okay, if they're sharing the inner thoughts of people that have, which we find out that aren't psychics in the book, but it has a psychic vibe. Mm. If it was only those people where we heard their internal thoughts or if you knew that they were listening in on people, mm. I would go, okay, the purpose is you're listening to, you're listening in on them. That's, mm. that's what you're doing. Fine. But they were doing it for near, like nearly everyone. And uh, to the point where he's like, why? Or even, even the scene where the dad's like, oh, someone tried to kill my son. Like we know that the audience knows that we know that. And as the dad, you'd be pretty upset. So why on God's green earth mm. have him see what's happening. And then in his head, we hear him thinking that it was just like stuff through. Yeah. Sorry. That's just one thing. That was your answer to the first question of what did you think? of? Yeah. Film? Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah. that's, that's, that's there was almost as much exposition in your explanation. <laughs> yeah. As there was in you the know why? Because I've watched nearly three hours. Film. So this is the only way I can communicate now. Is There's so exposition? much exposition in the film that it starts with a princess Irulan's floating head in space, delivering exposition, fading out, and then be like, oh, wait, I have more exposition yeah, to give you and fade back in. because it was clearly multiple takes. She couldn't do it in one take. And they wanted a one take vibe, but she couldn't do it in one take. So mm. they thought, let's use different takes, but we'll just get you to fade in and out. Instead of like, say, showing the world. You know mm. what I mean? Like if she was giving a voiceover and you saw that planet and you saw that thing, then mm. that could make up for it. But they wanted, if, if the actor could not do it, in one monologue and you weren't thinking of a smarter way to blend in those shots except to fade and fade out mm. pick a different way to do a to do it, the in intro. the the opening scene the opening shot of the film is how they, it sets the tone perfectly to be like we're gonna just throw stuff at you and not bother and if that explaining. was the only exposition in the film like honestly if that opening Rip monologue, the off. if that was it if they went this is mm. the world Everyone uses, there's the, the spice trade, um, there's a power struggle over it, and there's a new thing coming, and that's what's going on. And then that was the only exposition throughout the whole film, and the rest was, we're just showing you. I think I would have been okay with that. I like, because that's what they did in Star Wars. They just gave a lot of exposition at the beginning and went, that's it. Um, mm. And any exposition we show it, you in the rest of the yeah, film, we're going to sneak in you're through right. natural dialogue. At no point did, the, like, at the start of each scene, did we have C-3PO, you know, thinking, oh, I really hope that we find cover because this sand is going to get in my circuits. Where's R2 going? And then have that all then acted out again. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. It would have, and uh, to be honest, it would have ruined Star Wars because, like, Darth Vader would have been thinking, oh, yes, my son. Oh, the audience weren't meant to know that. Oh, oh, crap. Like, yes, it, it I agree. I think that this film, uh, as a first-time viewer as well, is fundamentally a a f broken film, mm. um, which I think is a real shame, Andrew, because for also as a first-time watcher of it, there were lots of elements of this story where I was like, this is really cool. Yeah. Um, how was it for you revisiting after uh, your own first watching a few weeks back? So the first time I watched this film a few weeks back, uh, I paid attention for the first half pretty mm. Succinctly. Yeah, I agree. And then um, after that point, I kind of just phased out and phased in and out for the rest of the film. And I came out of it and at the, at the other end, I said, look, it's not a good film, but it wasn't horrible. This time watching it, I'm like more removed from the book as a standalone piece of media. God, there's so much going on that doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any even sense. Even to me. <laughs> uh, it, it, 
Production design, amazing. Oh, Looks yeah. fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Sound, it, the music. Toto. Go. That music so was great. I, yeah. I sort of hope that that's in the new movie because that like, like that yeah. Yeah. was really, it set and, the world magic. I think that's the problem is that there are bits of this film which genuinely super. And the actors are great. It's just a pity they got crappy dialogue yeah. that n- n- no one could save. I mean, you've got, as we say, Patrick Stewart, Max von Sydow. Uh, in quite small roles, but making them like, yeah, these feel like real lived-in characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kyle McLaughlin as Paul is doing an incredible job with such shit. Like, yeah. just such There's so much bad... on his shoulders he yeah. has to put through, and you're like, good job, Kyle. Like, you have to scream father multiple times to the heavens in this mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. And you know and what? And think it. Yeah. Think it <laughs> and scream it, which is what gets me. I'm like, why? Yeah, he's he, he does... I'm going to say he does a very good job. And, and uh, also the villains. I Look, I, I can't even remember what they, they were called. Harkonnens. Just the Harkonnens. Mm. The, 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 the redheads. Yeah. The um, Weasleys. Yeah, the Weasleys. Mm. Um, <laughs> they were great. Mm. Like, they were... They, again, I think they just were like, this is silly. This is... And, and also, could you imagine? Because they would have filmed all that stuff in their own... Time, you they're know what I mean? Like, separate. They're they, separate from the rest of the they film. They are separate from the rest of the film. Could you imagine being an actor that was only on that and then saw the rest of the movie? Like the colours, like, oh, the costume. Like it's a completely different I mean, vibe. Y- you know who probably had that experience was Sting. Yeah. He has all of those scenes with the Harkonnens and then he's there for the finale and he's probably like, what the hell is going on it's with the rest of this It's a completely different uh, style. And, yeah. But the actors do a great job. Like, you mm. were just... It was funny. It was... And they gave the great speech. Like, that scene where he was like, we're planning this assassination. We want to take over that power and control and we're working with the Emperor to do it. Mm. I went, that's all you needed. Yet we've just been watching, I think it felt like 15 minutes of everyone saying the exact same plot and mm. that's what made sense and then i think it was you that was like yeah that's all you see in the in the book yeah in the books early on you have that scene between um the baron and the rest of his cronies and they basically lay out the plot going forward yeah and mm. it was they done say, really well in the movie we're, as well. we're gonna we're bouncing out of arrakis um the atreides are coming in and then we have the secret backing of the emperor and we're going to go in and crush them and then you know that from the get-go. Yeah. And then you spend um, like the a good portion of the book knowing that is going to happen. And you're kind of just sitting in suspense waiting for that um, arrow to be fired mm. and hit its mark. And that tension is is amazing in the books that they you know something horrible is going to happen and they make it work for it. But yeah, in the film, it's undercut by the fact that everyone re-establishes that fact over and over and over again. Yeah, because they were like, oh, the people aren't going to get it. But that scene works well and no wonder because it was the scene that was in the book mm. right I more, don't know, more or less yeah. but it meant that whoever was writing that scene had like it just made sense like if they had started the film around there after mm. that voiceover and then you went to the duke training and then you had patrick stewart saying like getting really into it and saying no like we're going to this area it's going to be unsafe and him talking with his dad and him going why does everyone seem to be talking about my dad like they know that he's dying? Like, mm. it's that adds so that would have just been such a stronger beginning. Yeah. So instead of, I'm just like, okay, well, apparently everyone knows that there's a plot to be screwed over, like mm. er- everyone. So then why is this happening? Like, and, and they still do. Like the Atreides know there is some form of plot happening, but they don't know what. But they know it's a trap, and they know they have to go there because um, it's still the will of the Emperor. But they they think, uh, at least Duke Leto thinks that he can probably pull it off anyway whereas jessica yeah. is aware that um she spends a like the good 
begin portion at the beginning of the book knowing mm. uh her lover is doomed to die and and she, she's kind of a denial about it mm. uh, they also don't know that there's a traitor in their midst initially as well the, no. the atreides That's there something... is a whole thing where they figure out there's a traitor and then uh, mm. um they they think it's jessica yeah oh okay yeah so um thufa thinks it's jessica the guy the big bushy eyebrows yeah, and basically, it's the lover. yeah, gets um, because which would make sense because her tutor and her mentor or whatever is the right hand person of the emperor. Yeah, so the, of course, the emperor's head witch. Yeah, yeah and of yeah. course they'd go, and she was the one that was like, "You should, we're going to have a son and not a daughter," and it's that whole, mm. you know. So you can go, "This was like a long con to mm. screw you over." You and so what, I could see that. Do you know what's really interesting is we're talking about the book right now and <laughs> talking about how great the plot is. Because the film just doesn't no, really doesn't reflect this anything. at all. No, no, it doesn't. And also, it kept annoying me <laughs> again, where it was just like, like we're gonna whisper all our thoughts, mm. and then we're gonna say it, and then, and also, I, okay, if we're just talking, we're not talking about the book, okay? Yeah, yeah. We're talking about the movie. Yeah. I was getting so angry where it was just they kept going, you know, we we've used eugenics basically, mm. so women can have witch-like thoughts because this is the only position of power apparently women can be in is to be mm. uh sex slaves that also can help them with government stuff that mm. seems to be the indication because the emperor doesn't have a queen yet he's got a daughter and so this woman's here so it's it's so i was like this movie is inferring that these women are trained and bred to help with political stuff they can they can read thoughts yeah. then they and then they have sex and, and they yeah. have kids but then yeah. to have more daughters but then the dukes and all the people in position they'll generally marry someone up in a higher position yeah so it's this weird sex slave thing hmm. and then they have this whole but she would decide to have a son because the he wanted a son and we only have daughters and so they do this reverse sexism thing where they just go what if women were super powerful even though the film doesn't show that at all mm. um and only women have this power so the fact that you a boy has it is so different and mm. unusual but you'll be the one yeah. you'll be the savior because you can go where no woman could yeah. which when they had the whole box thing and the like put your hand in the box i was making jokes of it being like your first period because the way that they were talking <laughs> about it was like you're about to experience true womanhood. Womanhood. It's yeah. like these are things that only women go through. No man has survived this, but somehow you do because you're just different. And like that, it's... that is 100% still a problem in the books. Is yeah. That they're, it, they're, the Benny Gesserit are a bit more nuanced in the way that they are, they are their own sector of powerful political maneuverability that, that, are, that are use, they are mm. using sex and whatnot to get that position of power. And they are basically a eugenics program uh, yeah. to to get their ends met mm. um but there is a whole thing where yeah that they, they are super powerful women but the man version of them is the most powerful version yeah. of, mm. of of their and, society and that, yeah which is just so stupid and again like you just get that from the book but in, like from in the movie so in the movie like in the movie that's all you see yep. that these women that are like that's it that's their whole job and mm. that's so it's like infuriating and then mm. the and then the mother has like, you know, oh, oh you've been captured. Oh, we're going to rape you. Oh, here's another woman who's a meant to be love interest. They barely talk. Yet I didn't know that five years had happened. Okay. <laughs> the Andrew David, you go. And now they're skipping five years. I was like, 
how do they show you this except he's making out with her yeah. and then the mum had the baby and like you see her but you don't see the sister until he gets the drink of life thing so you would have unless something was said and I missed it because I was too busy going what the f*** is happening the exposition does blur in yeah. this film the, yeah the, you, you can't I, you start yeah. tuning out I don't know about you I oh, started tuning out exposition absolutely I, I, I also found there's, there's like one line in there somewhere where they mention that two years have passed yes. at this specific point yes but it's so mangled up with everything else that's mm. happening it's sort of like what's got we're over here okay cool yeah because the second half of the film oh. is just so much more problematic than the first half so, in, oh, yeah. in terms of how it's Produced just from a film story perspective, and Andrew, I, I feel like this is because they're trying to condense a book that is too big for one film. Yes. So the first half of the film is approximately the first third of the book, mm. and then the second half of the film is about two thirds of the book, and it but really what... feels like they've cut out every second scene. But mm. what gets me is that they could have easily have cut so much from the first half of the film to make sense because the outline is super simple and that's what got me i was like it's a very simple thing that everyone understands there's a trade thing you're going in to scout the new area because your planet your your area is now looking after it whoops look oh no your dad's dead and now you're in the desert like that stuff could have easily have happened in the first 20 minutes 30 minutes of the film, right? Mm. Easily. And then the yeah. rest of the film could have been... De- uh, it wouldn't have... Again, people that have read the books, it wouldn't have gone as in-depth, but then it would have spent the next, you know, 30 minutes, him getting to know the people, him blah, 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 and training up. And yeah. then that meant the then, la- last half, it, you could have easily mm. have condensed it. It's and just like, not done well. Even knowing who Charney is, his his love interest. His love interest. You know, they barely interact, except mm. she just lays on top of him, just... Whis- whispering mm. I you are so important to me somehow I have a perm in this cave and like I, I yeah and the whole time I felt like you know I, we were making these jokes while watching the film I just I'm not even joking it was just that the two women that have lines like prominent lines mm. it's just them just going I'm a woman oh no I'm running and I'm falling because I'm just a woman mm. I'm just a and I'm just a woman the, the here film... in the desert it does like, does those characters so dirty because Jessica is basically the secondary protagonist of the books, or at least the first book. I haven't read past the first book. Mm. And Charney, you, you don't get her viewpoint as much, but she is a highly influential member of that society. Yep. Well, you don't see it from here. Not at in, all. In here, they don't do it. And speaking of dirty, um, all the people, when, when they were in the cave and we see all these people, I was like, I assumed that they were miners. And everyone's like, no, these are the people that live on this planet. So I'm like, okay, so these are meant to be, because obviously it's like, these are the First Nations, these are the, the, the indigenous people of this planet. And um, that's being run by a different leader group and they're doing mining and stuff. And then I was like, why are they wearing the same uniforms? And then they go, well, those, are, and you were like, well, clearly these are the uniforms that they make for people. And I'm like, so they make them in the caves which would show superior technology because the guy was explaining how it filters your like urine and your feces and there's water and this can help you survive for all this time. And I'm going, okay, well then clearly it shows that they have to have good technology yet everyone thinks that they're primitive, which I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And then also secondly, if they are um, like 
uh, if they are from this, like how long have they been on this planet? Because why is it that they can't survive on the planet on their own? It, it like that that didn't get explained. Like, is it because it hadn't rained for so long that these people have just had to figure out what to do? Slash also, it just I didn't realize, and they were all dirty, and it was that kind of sense of well, look at us, we're just we're just dirty cave people. Even mm. and we don't know how to bathe, and we don't have technology. Even though and with all the water, we're even not though washing. there's all water, we're not washing. And oh wow, Kevin Costner, you're going to come in and show us the way <laughs> to. Uh, to dance with wolves and show us how, like, you know, Pandora is the real thing. Wow. Thanks, Sam so, Worthington. It was literally, I don't, you can talk about the book and yeah. we can read the book. I, I don't, I don't want to be, uh, Andrew explains movie, the book segment. But this movie, I'm, I'm talking about this movie. I'm mm. not talking about the book. I'm not, I'm talking about what this movie shows. Mm. It is some colonial bullshit. Like, and that's the whole thing. It's the spice trade of England. Everyone's mm. dressed up in Victorian era steampunk the set and everything was great hmm. they all looked great but they were doing this whole we're England the sun will never set on the British Empire blah hmm. blah, blah 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 and I, I think to, you know? to, to pick up on that I think it's a really clever choice design wise oh, uh, to, to tie in the empire yeah. with a known historical empire and that totally helps with the spice trade you're like great 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 but the thing is is that it never it but then it goes which I was like, oh, very cool. But then it just does the whole, well, I was a man in a position of privilege and now I've come down to you and I'm going to teach you how to fight and then we're going to go up and I'm the chosen one and then I'll lead and I'll bring peace to everyone. And by peace, I mean, I will kill anyone (laughs) that doesn't do what we want to do. And now... Well, I'm a space dictator. You are... I'm a space dictator. You are literally explaining the biggest problem with this film is... The fact that the Atreides and Paul specifically are um, just, they are the good guys in this film. Mm. In the books, and again, welcome to the Andrew Explains the the Book segment. Andrew Explains the Book. So one of the final lines of Paul in in the film is, where there was war, he would now bring peace. Mm. There's a whole thing in the books. So the Bene Gesserit have this whole manipulation going on where hundreds of years previously... They sent out um, uh, constituents to random planets and seeded within their societies different legends. Mm. So if a Bene Gesserit ever ends up on this planet in the future, they, they can key, on, key in on what those legends are mm. and manipulate the local people to feed into their, their whatever religion has spurned up. Right. So... That's how Jessica and Paul kind of worm their way into the Fremen society. Yeah, because the whole time everyone kept going, is he... The one? Yes. Is he, could he possibly be the one? So Paul spends Mm. the entire book basically trying to build up an army to get revenge upon the Harkonnens and the Emperor and manipulates these Fremen people. And he spends the entire book being like, can I toe the line here? Can I manipulate these people, free them? I'll do a good thing while I'm here, whatever. Um, Manipulate them to doing my dirty work for me, basically. And have it end there. And at the end of the book, he realizes he can't. He has basically put him, raised himself up as a religious, like a messiah. Mm. And he has created a, a whole um, extremist religion around him. And the rest of the books, uh, it's all, the rest of the books become about how that manipulation kind of messes up the entire universe. Mm. And yeah. about how yeah. 
meddling with other people's beliefs and religious extremism as a whole is kind of bad. Yeah, and obviously the film doesn't have the time, nor apparently the inclination to delve into that. Uh, speaking of worming your way into things. Oh my God, these worms. Okay. Let's talk about the worms. Worms are cool. Okay, the, okay. <laughs> sorry, I'll give my grab. Let, no, let's talk positively first about the worms. Yeah. Yeah. You guys go first. because. Okay. Have you got nothing? <laughs> uh, they looked cool. They did look cool. They were big. They were scary. And they the were like... showing of them, like the first time when yeah. they escaped the, the, the mining the, thing yeah. and it popping up of the mm. size. Amazing. Like with a, the music, yeah. very cool. Like a portable Sarlacc pit is probably like mm. the best way to do it. And if you'd just seen Return of the Jedi the year before and then saw those worms the following year, you'd be like, oh, these are so much scarier than what was in Return of the Jedi. Oh, this is great. And they were really great. I really loved the way that they showcased like the, 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 is it the Fremen? Fremen. The, the Fremen. Um, I'm still saying it wrong. Fremen? The Fremen? Fremen. Yeah, Fremen. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the. The people that Paul t- radicalizes, <laughs> um, yeah, the way they use their their hooks to like get on them and ride them around, and using them to storm the castle at the end, really cool. And for a film that was made in the eighties, where, as we even saw in this film, some of the visual effects are not great. Yeah, but the effects with the worms, I thought, were largely excellent. I think they've done a really good job of like showing that scale without obviously creating a half a kilometer there's long some worm. shoddy green screen work going on on occasion yeah. but in general like you feel the enormity feel the size of them. yeah 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 uh did you have something not so positive to say about the worms no well, no just the things surrounding the worms because the whole time paul moon because that's what he was like <laughs> what's my name the prophecy is true it's like bitch you picked your own name anyway um is he kept going what's with the spice and the worms these are connected the spice and spice worms <laughs> Spice, spice worms the whole time. Yet, unless it was an exposition and I missed it, they never explain what the worms and the spice have to do with each other. He's like, uh, you know, and I'm, I made a joke going, is the spice just the worms like shit? I like, because what, it's never explained. I'm it's pretty never sure explained. it is or they breathe it out. I honestly can't I don't remember, remember it. I can't remember it. And that's, mm. that's a fault of the film because he keeps asking What's what are the, these worms yeah. got to do? Because they can hear the vibrations and it's like they're protecting. And I was waiting, honestly, because I thought it was really cool where they, where this, um, the guy said to the, to the father that there's actually more of them. There's more people. And that sort of idea that, you know, there's, there's thousands of more people that live on this planet and they're keeping to themselves. Um, and I thought, this is really cool. Is it going to be that, you know, we see them riding the worms because they know how to do it. And that's really great. Um, and they don't get attacked by them is sort of inferred, mm. but there's sort of that fear of them. I, and I and I sort of thought that they would know. Like they go, they, you know, they're just they are just protecting their their area, but the vibrations affect their movements. Sort of I don't know, you know how like whales and how like animals yeah. and bats creep. Like it's just like mm. I thought it was. It affects them. They're in pain, so they just destroy the thing that's giving them mm. like a bit of a headache or something but mm. like it's never it, it's it's just sort of seen as these 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 wild creatures that have to be tamed mm. not well let's look at actually what are we doing to their environment that's causing them to behave that way so i just googled the terms dune spice and worm and the first suggestion that comes up is dune spice worm poop there we uh, go <laughs> having had a look at it um it sort of is their poo, is oh, the spice. There we go. Um, the 
the sandworms larvae produce a drug called melange, known uh, locally as the spice, which is highly prized. Um, melange is created when excretions of the sandworms larvae reacts with water and sunlight. So one of the key ingredients is, is, water. is, is worm poo and sunlight yeah. and water. So the but spice... The whole thing is that it's never yeah. rained there, but like, there's water there. Mm. But they've got the deposits of water under yeah, the ground. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So th- they're connected because you were right. It is yeah. sort of worm shit. Worm shit, which makes sense, but like it was just, I don't know. And also, okay, I know we're skipping from the worm, but they showed, and there was lots of times where we were like, why is this here? And then you're like, it's not in the book. Why was his punishment to milk that rat cat that had <laughs> his antidote I've, I've to no not clue. kill him? Yeah. They show that and then skip five years of someone's relationship. And, and then... They don't pay it off. Pay it he, off. He's in the final he's scene the and then he's not up. there. He's looking up like he looks like he's been crazy. Like mm. over yes. those five years he was tortured. Yeah. But nothing is... So I'm like, if you're cutting that in your theatrical release, get rid of... The it's like cat. he stood. It's like he stood his ground and went, no, we have to have this scene in here. Mm. What about the, the lead and the romantic interest getting to know each other or him getting to know the lay of the land? No, mm. we need the cat with the rat taped to its belly and he's going to milk it and it's going to be great. The audience are going to love it. Also, like, I don't think we've established that the Harkonnens are bad enough yet. This scene will really yeah. sell it. <laughs> we need one more bout of cruelty to really yeah. drive it home. And also, it just, I was like, why? They've just made it, they made it really, like, also gay. And it annoyed me because, mm. like, they just made him this creepy, predatory dude again. So, again, it had that kind of trope of, of yeah, of, like, and that, gayness, which... that is in the books. Like he yeah. is a predatory man, the Baron. Yeah, which I and get. It's which creepy. I get. Um, there, there are a lot of... The book, I believe, was either written in the 50s or the 60s. 50s, I believe. Mm. Um, uh, I think it was 65. Yeah, 65. I get 56 uh, Yeah, first appearance, uh, June 1965. Yes. So, obviously, this was written by a white man in mm. the 60s. Mm. There's a lot of very... There's a lot of very good stuff in this book. There's also a lot of very weird and problematic stuff in this book. Well, yeah, because, um, you know, that was you being... Like, homosexuality, like, that kind of... That was predatory. Mm. That was Frank something Herbert that was... Frank Herbert was a um, hardcore homophobe. And yeah. that is well documented how homophobic he is. Yeah, which sort of... I think that shows there because it was very gross. But then yeah. also there was this weird, unintentional... Okay, that... The lead... Paul? Paul. Paul. Oh, again, such a weird... Paul Moon. Paul Moon. That's what I'm calling him. Um, He and that random guy that got shot in the head. I don't know. Duncan. Who Duncan. doesn't get shot in the head. Duncan in Idaho. He doesn't, yeah, yeah. Is... He has more chemistry in that one scene. He's about to go off and he's going to go to the planet a little bit earlier. And I was like, okay, that felt a bit like romantic because literally it was... They were, he kept looking him up and down and I was like, either he's like the betrayer or hand he... Hand on the chest. Hand on the, and then he puts his hand on his chest and he's like... Maybe that's the hand from his dreams that we kept seeing. Well, yes. I still don't know what was I don't know. That. that would make sense if it was. <laughs> but it was just one of those things where he puts his hand on his chest and he's like, I'll look after you. And then he also sort of... He knew the dad a bit, but it had that kind of like... It felt romantic and then you they never interacted again, but then he saw him Get die yeah. and he was heartbroken. And I, and I went, oh, and so a part of me thought... Okay, we've just seen this, and then we saw that homophobic 
sort of that sort of predatory you know they've had a very feminine pretty man and like and, he gets killed, like, and, like, <laughs> and then he kills him hmm. so I, and then and that scene happened afterwards so a part of me went okay well like if we're in this world fine like if if Paul also, you know, it was swung a little, you know, it was the future. Because that was the whole thing where they went, because he ha- didn't have a son, it, he didn't have a daughter. It means you can't do the, you can't marry off people and do political things. Mm. And I was like, so the big issue is he can't marry a dude somewhere because apparently only men are in positions of power. Mm. So he can't have an, a male advisor that can read people's thoughts or empathy or whatever. It only can be a woman. Mm. Um, and I was like, well, then why? Is there no leader on any of the major planets that likes dick like what they couldn't you know what i mean it was just one of those weird uh, yeah which i feel is more of of an issue with the fact that it is yeah a book from an american author in the 60s who is homophobic. Is, is homophobic yeah um, i mean this film is often listed as being one of the most homophobic movies um just right really so i'd say well the Wait. introduction well, but- of of the baron he, he is a heavily diseased uh, oh yeah, it's like um, they're like it's like it's like it's, sex it's the eighties. Yeah. It's the eighties. Yeah. So um, there were a lot of connections made to oh he's gay and he has space AIDS. Yeah, and he and he ripped and he had blood all over his face. Yeah. And he was, there is an amazing yeah. quote which are you pulling up? There's a feel free to. I, I don't know the quote itself, okay. but it, it's basically someone uh, a reviewer ripping this a new one mm. for the depiction of the Baron and and that level of homophobia involved. Yeah. Yeah. Do you the, want to read the? Do you have the quote? I don't have the quote, unfortunately. I'll see if I can, see if I can find it. You, yeah, you make your because point. It, yes. it's very interesting. Like because watching it like now, 2021. I was going look. All those tropes are there, but especially even like the purple flowers and the, and it was just they were all so villainous and you know mm. and but it's sort of like a trope that happens. So it is very interesting where I was going, oh, I've seen, uh, you know, more homophobic, what people would say more homophobic characters, but Mm. it is one of those things where, yeah, you put it in the context of when the film came out as Mm. well. So yeah, being in the cinema and watching that film in the 80s when the AIDS epidemic was happening and it was so, and they were all redheads as well. I feel it was weird because it had this it had this weird i don't know why but with the color choices they had a lot of greens and it had this very weird celtic vibe as well where they had like the british and then these brutes that wanted power that were fat and slobby and mm. and gay and they were it also had that weird that sort of weird celtic vibe as well and i and i and that also made me a bit uncomfortable so uh, i did find the quote is from film scholar robin wood who called Dune the most obscenely homophobic film I've ever seen, referring to a scene in which Baron Harkonnen sexually assaults and kills a young man by bleeding him to death. Managing to associate with homosexuality in a single scene, physical grossness, moral depravity, violence, and disease. Which, yeah, that's all there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Look, this film's got a lot of problems, and that's one of them. Uh, And it's it's a pretty big one. Um, And I would... Be very surprised if the new Dune features anything remotely like that. I feel as though what we're more likely to see from Baron Harkonnen, who is, I imagine, going to be less like a happy blimp floating around like this one was. I have a feeling... That was funny, I will admit. Yeah. I, I loved his villainy. And his little... <laughs> yeah. His happy laughter. I, I've got a feeling, based on the trailers for the new ones, that this Baron Harkonnen, his negative traits are going to be much more about the personal as opposed to that type of person. He'll be yeah. more grounded. Oh. As a character. Mm. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, the film just sort of ends. It just ends. <laughs> it's like, see, he, he is, is the Messiah is that of, of the one true God. And I went, ew. He's like, Which, uh, Ed enters a similar place in the books. He gets the Emperor to surrender. Um, he marries the Emperor's daughter. Wait, he doesn't marry Chani? So it's the whole thing where he basically says, uh, I'm going to marry your daughter for mm. political reasons. Um, Shani, I'm going to keep loving you because I love you. And it, it's a similar setup to how Leto and Jessica was. Right. And the book literally ends with Jessica turning to Shani and being like, look, he's going to marry someone else. But like, like Leto really loved me. He's going to love you for like forever. Like mm. we, we're going to history. will see us as the wives. Is basically yeah. how she puts it. Right. Um, I was so invested in their relationship from this film, though. God. All of those quick cuts to them kissing and then moving right along. And uh, rain. That doesn't. That's that's nothing. What's I don't with know. The rain. What there is. is it, I, I don't know. I don't know okay. what's with the rain, Kate. I don't it's, know. I have a feeling that's a Toto thing. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> them working on the soundtrack. We're like, you know, we've got this great song. Was the song out already? I'm uh, pretty sure it was out by that point. Okay. Yeah. yeah if was... not, they've been inspired. <laughs> yeah, because that was so. It, that was weird as that was weird as well. And it was yeah. It was just the dialogue just wasn't. I just can't get over how yeah how you just sort of can't listen to people because they're just not talking how people talk and it's mm. the it's the weirdest thing and again even patrick stewart this is a guy that that does shakespeare like mm. and, and shakespearean language is it, it has that vibe of if you you just be listening and going i have no idea what's being said but you have to infer by the performance or mm. whatever and so even he was trying his best and his character managed to somehow feel rounded in some way, mm. but it still was difficult to understand what people were saying. You will. Mm. And also, yeah, it was just, I still can't get over how it was very much just, yeah, it was this very much. Let's save the, the, the poor, like indigenous people, even though we're all white, mm. it's very, you know, and I can do this better and now I'm your Jesus and mm. we're going to destroy Britain. And again, in the movie, like there's similar things happen in the books, but in the books, it is a bad thing. Yeah. And in the movie, it's like, great, the, the new Jesus man won. Yeah. Good yeah. job. Yeah, it was very, yeah. And it, it, yeah, there was clearly environmental themes, which makes me interested to see the new film because mm. like, so even like there were really cool concepts like, um, for the worms, the vibrations and that sort of that yeah. machine that they, that they stabbed in oh, the, the sand, the, the thumpers, the thumpers, uh, you know, it, it reminded me very much of like, yeah, that fracking sort of imagery and like, mm. I, so I'm, I, you know, but obviously this film didn't even really want to touch on that at all, but it, yes. it'd be interesting to see how the new film, especially with that sense of, water and you know and the importance of you know this and trading and stuff like that but mm. yeah uh would you guys like some trivia about june 1984 i would love some trivia give about it to me june 1984 okay for those of you uh listening at home all of this trivia is sourced from imdb's if it's not true don't blame me uh writer and director david lynch has said he considers this movie the only real failure of his career to this day, he refuses to talk about the production in great detail and has refused numerous offers to work on a special edition DVD. Lynch claims revisiting the movie would be too painful an experience to endure. Well, I agree. Yeah. I think that's a fair position to take. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and as uh, you were saying when we were about to watch this, Andrew, uh, David Lynch turned down the opportunity to direct 
Star Wars Episode Six: Return mm-hmm. of the Jedi, um, apparently telling George Lucas, quote, it's your thing, it's not my thing, end quote, which is probably fair. Uh, but Unfortunately, this wasn't his thing either. Yeah, and it does make me worry that Return of the Jedi may have been a real problem under Lynch. Uh, but you, you feel it might have been better? Look, I love Return of the Jedi, Mm. But it is also, a lot of it is a rehash of A New Hope in a lot of ways. Mm. And I feel like with David Lynch, with David Lynch at the helm, we would have got um, some different story beats in it, which I think would have been some really cool ideas. More or less Ewoks. Ewoks I'm fine with. I'm okay. fine with Ewoks. It's just, mm. we don't need another Death Star. We nah. don't need um, Leia being a sister. All mm. that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. It's almost like he came up with these ideas clearly just from these books and other things and couldn't think of other stuff to do you know just putting that out there for everybody else i might you know people don't know who i am so they don't give a crap but like (laughs) some of the most like in-depth thing when people talk about like if you know looking at star wars is is the is the depth that a lot of people that fell in love with the series made on their own so you know people talk about how people made fan fiction they got published and eventually they just became understood as part of the world yeah. so that the world building was for people that loved this story not because of george lucas like and you can sort of see that like and that's the thing I, you were right when you even watching this terrible film i could see clearly where like even the um the very cool thing of the water of life and mm. because she was pregnant it meant that she took over all the knowledge that would need to be, but so would the child. Mm. That was a very cool concept. And then that reminded me of the aliens that you have um, in Star Trek, where it picks, I forgot the name of them. Uh, yeah, it, I can't remember the I name, remember the name I know them, who But you it mean. picks their host and they sit in and like you get all their memories and all their past lives. And so you can, and even with like, you know, the, the sand dune aliens and the, um, and like, and the sort of world politics mm. and um, even, even the, the, uh, the uh, co- concubines, co- concubines, concubines, concubines. Mm. Like, um, you know, I had the princess there, and she had all her handmaidens, and that was very much, you know, you see that kind of stuff in Star Wars, and even the costumes, and mm. so it's it's definitely all there. It's just, you know, um, you know, George Lucas had an idea. Mm-hmm. He's an ideas person, but mm. he needs other people to actually do the work. Mm. So. Um, Speaking of costumes, uh, Sir Patrick Stewart, or as he was known at the time, Patrick Stewart, Stewart. uh, said that the still suit was the most uncomfortable costume he had ever worn. Max von Sydow said the same, but also said he put up with it because he loved the way his body looked in it. (laughs) So which one was that one? Was that the... That was the special suits with the... the, With all all the tubes and stuff? I could understand that being it looks so hot it to looked wear. hot and it would have just like being in a wetsuit all day in which the is desert. hilarious because they probably could have actually put actual filtrating system in there yeah i mean tube, the chewback outfit had that kind of um filtration in it for water cooling yeah from the I, so. I would hope it would by the sounds of it it probably didn't but that looked like an outfit that they literally could have prepped it so you wouldn't have been uncomfortable in the desert but um, yeah yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Uh, so Patrick Stewart was, at the time, completely unfamiliar with um, Sting as a musician. Uh, when meeting him on set, he asked if he was a solo artist, to which Sting replied that he was in a band called The Police. Uh, Stewart uh, misunderstood, thinking that Sting played in a police band. That's... And he, you know what? He would have gone, oh, that's really nice. Like, he would have been... Mm. I think he would have been really respectful. Gone, oh, well, that's great. You know, volunteering, doing music for the police. That's great. Yeah. And like... What are you, nice young man? 
what a nice young buck naked man I see before. Oh my God, why was he naked? Anyway, that, yeah, the scene where he steps piece. out and he's not naked. Uh, he's wearing a very most, hastily crafted yeah. giant Speedo. Yeah. <laughs> Very elegant uh, underwear. But it doesn't even explain why he was like that in the first place. Because he can. Because it's just more homophobic. But it was just like... And also, he was having a, a, a shower to get ready to, for genocide. There, there is like, a thing where where the, the Baron has urges towards his nephew, uh, which yeah. he tends to take out on slaves, more or less. Right. Oh, it, it's hinted at. Um and a fade uh, uses that to somewhat manipulate the Baron, oh. somewhat ineffectively. But but every every single character has their own plots going on in the book. Yeah, because um, it was it was yeah. I was like, oh yeah, because you know also, he's a predator. Did so. they even mention it in? Okay, the women, uh, uh, the Betty Jesuit take people into their order and raise them, mm. and then a lot of them don't get to know where they came from. Right. Halfway through, when when Paul has that big vision flash halfway oh, through right. the film. I was dreaming, but awake. He, right, find, cool. he finds out Jessica is the daughter of the Baron. Ugh. And he is technically a Harkonnen as well. No, I don't think that's in the film. No. I don't think they mentioned that. No, they didn't. Yeah. Of course. So when... when, uh, when George Lucas um, saw that and went, I have an idea. I have an idea. Mm. Uh, when when um, Alia, I think it's Alia, the, the little girl. Yeah. Yes. At the end. Um, she calls the Baron grandfather. That's why she, she kills... has a bit of red hair. Yeah. Mm. But they don't. Go. You know what? It's probably in the the five hour <laughs> five hour cut. cut. Yeah. Uh, the suits worn by the guild members. That's the people who have the fun microphones that they use to translate. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, those suits were body bags. Oh my god! But not only were they body bags. They were body bags found in a disused fire station dating back from the early 1920s. The bags had actually been used several times. Okay. Something that was kept from the cast members until shooting was completed. Man, what what a weird set. And you what know what? Someone would production. have they, someone would have cleaned them, but they still would have gone, we shouldn't tell them just so yeah. they don't, you know. Speaking of weird dead things, the cow that Rabin eats oh. was a real frozen cow. Oh. I don't know if the chunk he was carrying around was I would hope not. It, no. But that was an actual dead cow. You know cow. what? That did look real. And it, you know what also got me is I went, why is there a cow there? They're in it's space. A, yeah, space they're in cows? space. And I just went, okay, so now they have pastoral animals. Okay, because they're all human. But mm. those are from Earth. Mm. Those are Earth creatures. But they do have dogs. There they are do dogs, dogs and, and cats, cats and rats. And rats. <laughs> oh, my. Um, but it was just weird. It mm. was just a dog. And also, they had... Um, they, were, they You see a handful of like actors, um, uh, actors that, uh, with like dwarfism throughout the, throughout the film. Mm. And... They're all just slaves. It was very weird. Like mm. they were just, it was one of those weird things where they, it was a choice. It was a choice that they've made. Like the housekeeper. I mean, she was funny. Yeah. I mean, she Linda was like, her just going, I am the housekeeper. Yeah. And, and then dies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Linda Hunt is 
great. She's great. And she's done so many things, and I was like, oh my god, she's in this. Oh this is god. great. But yeah, I, it was one. It was a clearly a choice because they just they had uh, they had a, that was casting choices. It's a very 1980s thing, though. I know. Which is there's quite a few films from that time period where that's yeah, happened. Star Wars, um, Blade Runner, Willow. Although Willow, Willow. is fairly obvious. I think yep. there's like we're gonna make Warwick Davis the lead. So. Yeah. Um, he was a babe in that film. Oh, he was. So good. Yeah. Um, there was a version of this film that was planned to be made in the early 1970s that would have been directed by Alejandro Jodorowsky. There's a documentary there about is. this, I believe. Yes. Uh, it came out about uh, nine years ago. Um, it would have been weirder than this film, I think is the only way to put it. Um, so he wanted to get um, H.R. Geiger, who designed the Alien Aliens, in on the uh, visual team. Cool. Um, he wanted Salvador Dali to play the Emperor. Yeah. Really? Yes. That was who he wanted to cast. He also wanted to cast his own son, Brontis, as Paul. Okay. David Carradine as Duke Leto, which would have not actually been terrible. But I don't know who that name is. He's been in a, he's been in a lot of films. Oh, God, I'm he, so bad with... Yeah. Uh, and Orson Welles as the Baron. That ah, would have been interesting. That would have been interesting. And he wanted um, Pink Floyd to do the soundtrack. God, that... what a film. <laughs> that would have been... What a film. Mm. Uh, his version of the script uh, was about the size of a phone book. <laughs> um, yep. the, the running time for that film was going to exceed 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> he was making basically as true like a page-to-page adaptation of the book into yeah. a film as he could. It's one of those things where, yeah, you were saying, this could just be a TV series. And we have to also remember, like, people only watch things through cinema at that time. You yeah. couldn't... Te- television, it just wasn't a thing mm. you could do. But it, it still does boggle my mind, though, that it is changing. People are starting to do, like, more miniseries and more... But mm. it, it, it does blow my mind that people will still do films of books that aren't a standalone book yeah like that will go yeah let's make a film Hmm. for a series it's like we have so many people watch television anyway sorry no no it's fine um patrick stewart's casting as gurney was a mistake it's it's such a good such a good story please Stephen. go a mistake in a rush to replace another act that was in the original role david lynch thought he'd hired a different person whose name was also Patrick Stewart. See, this is why in acting guilds now, like, well, I don't know how long it's been, but it's that you have your name, you and your if name. someone has the same mm. name, you got to change it because of this. This. Yeah. So Gurney in the books is described as like an incredibly ugly man who's like was like a pit fighter, mm. and he's at the like the crap beaten out of him over many many years. Oh, is that why Patrick Stewart had that sort of scar on his? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and they're like, it's Patrick Stewart. Yeah, but you know what? I believed him. I oh, believed yeah. him. I believed yeah. he'd kick my ass. And then when he had that mullet, that balding mullet. So, so funny. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, the final bit of trivia. So wait, wait. You're just oh, saying so... that he thought he cast him. Yeah. And then he rocks up. How does... <laughs> does he rock up on the day? Does he rock up? And it then does David Lynch just have to pretend that this is who he wanted? Like... You said you wanted a Patrick Stewart. You didn't <laughs> say which You'll one. You'll get to me. Yes. The Patrick Stewart. Yeah. But it was... He did a great job. And I can see why afterwards somebody might have looked at that role and went... Oh, he should audition for the captain of like our new uh, reboot of Star Trek that we're mm-hmm. doing now. Mm. Um, 
because him in that outfit and he was commanding and all, he was badass. Like he was this running well, around with a pug, he was shooting this, people yeah, with lasers. How, yeah. He managed to look like a badass holding a, a pug mm. and also felt like he was in charge. Like you believed that he could kick your ass, but also lead people, but also and care. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, he's, I think he was one of the, the few things from this film we can all agree on yeah. was good. Yeah. The final bit of trivia, um, Churubusco Studios in Mexico City was selected as the shooting location due to the nearby desert and the devaluation of the peso, making it possible to shoot this movie for a quarter of what it would have cost in the US. Classic. Unfortunately, with that cut rate cost came cockroach infestations, uh, Mexico's Byzantine bureaucracy, brownouts that necessitated having backup generators on hand at all times, a primitive phone network with only one direct line to the production office, worse smog than in Los Angeles, and something called Moctezuma's Revenge, which Ooh. is also known as diarrhea, uh, yeah, <laughs> because people were not used to eating and drinking stuff in Mexico, and a lot of people had the runs. Fun, and then those suits... I don't think they could have gotten out of them. Like, it would have been once you're in, you're in. Like, I hope they had diapers under those suits. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, not, not a fun time making this one generally. But was it worth it? No. No, no, it wasn't it worth wasn't. it at all. Uh, so We got a good podcast out of it, though. So uh, I, I hope so. <laughs> I can't, yeah, I just can't get over how just bad this film. I, I, just... I did say it was a very interesting film. Yeah. It, you're correct. You know what? Oh, this is you. definitely a film you have to... I don't, first of all, anyone listening... Don't watch it if you haven't. Because sometimes I listen to podcasts like this where mm. I've never watched the film mm. and I just want to hear people talk about it. And sometimes it makes me go, maybe I should, even if it's got spoilers. Who cares? I am in your thoughts. <laughs> do not watch this film. I do- don't do it. Mm. It's not worth it. It's worth it if you have friends and you're taking the piss out of it. Mm. Do not, do not, do not watch this film. I'm commanding you with my commanding witch voice. Well, with all that being said, it's time to score the film. Kate, you get to go first uh, because it was your first time watching June. Yep. What would you give it out of 10? Okay. All right. Here's here's the way you got to break it down. Okay. Okay, because the film breaks down so much. Okay. The concepts throughout the whole movie, we kept going, this is an interesting idea. I really like that. And you had, and Andrew, you're like, it's the book. But we're looking at the movie alone. All right. Mm. So this movie has actually made me interested in watching the new Dune that is coming out. I wasn't that interested in going to watch it when it was coming out. I am more interested now. Mm. This also made me more curious to read uh, the book. You Mm. know, as a queer person, do I want to maybe read someone that's super homophobic? Look, man. I loved Harry Potter as a kid. I can't really, you know, you gotta, you gotta mm. pick stuff. So it does make me interested to actually maybe pick up the book. So mm. I think on on that element, I'm thankful. It seems to have some really interesting ideas and some concepts, but that comes from the book. Yes. And the actors try their hardest. I'll give them that love. And I have seen worse films. Mm. Like I've seen, sh- there are shitter films <laughs> on this earth. But what makes me angry is the fact that it was clearly some good stuff, and they just didn't know what to do with it. So. Mm. I, I'm giving it so on that concept. I'm I'm giving the film itself on its own, just like a two, three. Like it's it was long, a lot of it didn't make sense. I was getting angry, so much exposition, just I I tuned it out. Mm. Just basic film one hundred and one of like just cutting through time and like and putting scenes that didn't need to be there. Like it just and again it made me. We kept going. Oh, this book is probably pretty good, and no film should do that. You yeah. shouldn't leave a film going. 
Oh man, if I and the fact you said when people rocked up the cinema, they had to give them what a they had like plot summaries for people. Okay, you, handouts. You can't give handouts into movies. The movie is meant to do the job. If you need a handout mm. to watch and understand a film, then you f-ing failed at it. And you could cut stuff, and that's what I don't get. If you if the, if it's too dense. Get rid of it. And yes, people that love the books might get angry. They'll go, you don't understand. Sting had all this backstory. You know, it's like, no, what is the core element of this story that we're trying to tell? Mm-hmm. Let's let's not care about the rest. We're focusing on these. And they didn't want to even do that. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's sexist. It's homophobic. Um, the costumes and sets are pretty. Um, it's just, it's colonial. Colonialism is great. That's really the moral of this. Colonialism is great. Hmm. And, and and Indigenous people don't know how to look after themselves. And if we just train them how to dance with wolves, um, we too could, you know, be a dictator and rule the galaxy. So, so two and a half, should we call it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. What do you think? Yeah, Andrew, what would you Every single point you just said was entirely correct. I think I need to start from the bottom and I need to build the blocks upwards which is the opposite of what i felt this film did Mm. it kind of started with an overview and then it tore chunks out willy-nilly one point for patrick stewart and his um desert mullet yep i think that's fair yeah yeah look he he deserved it Uh, he was a babe he was a babe Mm. and his pug um one point for the production design Production design of this film, I think, is, is amazing. It, it is Even brilliant. if you can tell they ran out of money at one point and just spray-painted a bunch of hazmat suits. Yes. Ignoring that, that production design absolutely killed it. And the music. One point for the music. Yep. So, I guess that's three points. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's, that's it? I Look, like Kate's saying, everything else that I like about the plot and the story is not because of the film Mm -hmm. because the film fails as a medium in transferring that information everything i like about it is because of the book and so i can't give it points on that regard it's Mm -hmm. building on a steady foundation and it still manages to make a a, a crumbling house on top Mm -hmm. of it so i think i gotta give it i gotta give it uh three sandworms out of ten yeah but like small sandworm ones. lava. Just a little one. 125 meters. A little meters. bit of spice shit. <laughs> yeah. Look, this is an awful film. Um, there are, as with all awful films, there are usually some redeeming features. And I think we've discussed them. And I think we'd be repeating ourselves to mention them but anymore. that's what the film does. Yeah. So if anything, we've given two loads of exposition. Now... Stephen, yours has to be your internal exposition. Okay. So whisper these. Now. So, okay, yes, well, it's very badly made. I feel as though the production issues really caused a lot of problems. So uh, because of that, the, the only film, and we've done more than 230 on this program, the only film I can think that I enjoyed less watching, there's two that come to mind. John Carter and... The Spice Girls movie, uh, yeah. Spice World, both featuring either extra extra planetary extra planetary stuff or spice and singers. <laughs> yeah, Meatloaf was in Spice. Yeah, Sting. Sting. Can, can I just say very quickly? I feel like this is my fault. Yeah, I told you <laughs> off mic probably a month ago, yeah. Stephen. I feel like I'm repeating myself because you keep putting me on really good films mm. and I love these good films. Mm. I feel like if you put me on a film that is a bit subpar 
we'll have like a more interesting narrative going forward. And mm. then you took that feedback and you threw this at us. Yeah. Look, so I'm, I apologize. I'm no, sorry. I think it's, I think it's important because I think it is one of I, this movie, June, because like the whole concept, the whole, mm. we're looking at concepts, uh, doctor, mm-hmm. uh, is that your whole podcast is people that have seen films and people that haven't. And it was based on that. Lots of people saying to you, Stephen, how have you not seen this film? And mm. you were like, well, I might as well record people watching for the first time. Mm. And I think this movie, June, it is under the scope of like science fiction films, under the scope of like 80 sci-fi. And it is a, it is a movie where when you go, oh, I've never really seen that June movie. If you're a part of that kind of world of entertainment, you do have people going, mm. oh, have you not seen this? It's so bad. So it, mm. it does match that I think it's a, it's a historically of, important film within the realm of sci-fi. Yes, and I understand yeah. why because I think it was just a clear example of 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 doing something wrong with science fiction. As you were saying when you're watching it, because you got your doctorate, like people of uh, films have like television has been able to do it better because again they had the TV format where you got to know the characters over a long period and you could mm. give information, um, which is why shows, I think, like Star Trek did a, did a good job. Mm. Um, but science fiction-wise, like you were saying, films haven't really done a very good job um, of bringing in that world unless you know the in-depth of it already, a general audience, for the last 10, 15 years, you were saying. And I think that shows why some of the biggest sci-fi films like Star Wars the film started off as a, as people say, it's a, it's a Western in space. It's a mm. cowboy Western in space because the audience understood the, the tropes. They understood the characters and they put it in a, in a fantastical space. And they clearly were inspired by Dune, mm. by that world, but put it in uh, with a palette to introduce people to these concepts that people understood. Mm. And so it is really interesting watching this film where clearly they were just trying to throw everything in and not while trying to explain it but not doing a good job and i think it's a very a very clear example of what not to do in science fiction films of Mm. bringing in an audience and stuff like that i would say that the biggest problem with this film is that it reduces what dune is it's clear that the book of dune and all of the stuff around it um is this incredible world that people love and the idea of this film being one of the main representations of what that idea is um, in the public consciousness would be devastating to me if I was a Dune fan. Like, if they for, if they ever decide to try and make a film of Mass Effect and they make it as bad as this, I will be very upset uh, because that's a world that I have lots of love and connections with and, and things like that. Um, so, yeah, if it was... I get it. <laughs> it. And this is not a great representation. And looking at it, purely as a film it, its biggest failing is not that it is june it is that it is a badly made film so um i have to give it two uh cat rats out of ten because it's is that one cat and one rat it's one cat and one rat yeah that's all you get um the poison around it is 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 cinema <laughs> <laughs> yeah unfortunately this film uh does not really work very well but there is the new one that might already be out or coming out very soon. Who knows December with Australia? 12th in, we get a, Australia gets it last. Yeah. We get it last. We get everything because we're upside down. Yeah. So, well, you know, we've got a lot of actual sandworms that they have to try and dodge. All the all the willy willies. Yeah. They've got to watch out for the drop worms. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ours don't come from the sand. They come from the trees. Ah, so, dropped by magpies. Yes. Uh, whenever you do get to potentially see uh, the, the uh, newest version of June, um, just just know it probably won't be as bad as the, as this is and if it is 
Oh boy, are we, we will we're the, for a ride. us three will watch it. <laughs> yeah. Even if none of us have seen it. If we if I hear that it's bad, we have to watch it. Okay. That's that's a Agreed. that's a that's a Kate Willoughby promise. Oh yeah, I'm 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 So we can talk about it. I need to buy my tickets now. Like I'm I'm You're ready. so ready for that film. Mm. I Excellent. really don't want it to be bad. <laughs> well, Fingers crossed. But uh, Kate and Andrew, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Oh, thank, thank you, you for, for having, having me. me. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really glad I, um, yeah, most of my day's gone for this. And uh, <laughs> it was the company that made it worth it. No. I think this is a decent film to watch in good company. You need good company. If you watch this on your own, it'll be like watching an Ellen DeGeneres stand-up on your by yourself. <laughs> it'll be painful and it'll go on forever. And be kind of just like weirdly inappropriate in some areas yeah i did yeah. that once yeah i actually did that i yeah don't watch i don't know why i did that i mm. yeah so don't it's good with people okay good to know uh, and for those of you listening at home thank you for joining us um hey if you have disagreements if you think that this is a masterpiece somehow uh, you can let us know we have a facebook page just search for the cinema catch-up club uh, on facebook and leave comments and reviews there you can also review us uh yeah. we we are available to be reviewed on most podcast platforms be that spotify itunes soundcloud if you go there and subscribe so you get a new episode each and every week you can leave those reviews um yeah, and just be like, I yeah. really want Andrew David and Kate just to... I keep calling you Andrew David. Sorry. Kate uh, yeah, Willoughby. Yeah, Andrew yeah, David yeah. and Kate Willoughby. Andrew David and Kate Willoughby. Just to... We should just... Yeah, they should be partners. Partners in crime mm. on the podcast. Yeah. I want to watch them... Watch on the podcast, not our real... No, criminal. not real life. Unless yeah. we don't commit crime. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Uh, regardless, uh, we, yes, you can leave suggestions there. Even, heck, if you want us to review June 2021, let us know and we'll see if we can squeeze it in. And, of course, uh, there is our Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash podcast for extra bonus goodies and features available for as little as a dollar a month. But that is all for this week. So until next time, goodbye. Bye. Bye. flow. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.